Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Zach Wilson just is not very good. That's not news. That's not controversial. That's not some sort of piping hot take. I don't even take any pleasure in pointing it out. I don't take any pleasure in pointing out that he's not good, just like I don't take any pleasure in watching him play football. It's not good. He's not good. I think the vast majority of you are with me on this. It's actually the one of the very few things that we can all agree on. Think about that for a minute. Name one thing that we can all agree on. Nothing. Nothing. Except maybe that. Well, all of us except my dude, Eddie C., the renegade master in NYC. What's up, baby boy? The rest of us don't agree on anything, but I think we all agree that Zach Wilson is not very good. Sorry, Eddie. Baby boy under center blows. Baby boy. Now, we all know Zach's not very good, which is why we're all wondering. We all agree on that. That's why we're all wondering why the Jets are so hell-bent on running this guy out there every single week. Like I pointed out yesterday, they could have just grabbed Josh Dobbs off the street practically for a sixth-round draft pick, and Joshua Dobbs could have performed better than the Coug Hunter without even knowing any of the plays or even meeting any of his teammates. All of that was true, and he still won. But for some reason, it's always Zach. It just has to be Zach. The biggest question facing the Jets right now is why Zach? Why not somebody else? Why not anybody else? Why not Trevor Simeon? He's there. Why do they have to die on Coog Hunter Hill? This is the only question that matters regarding the Jets. So that said, you would think that the head coach, Bob Sala, would have a pretty good answer locked and loaded. A pretty good answer lined up for the one important question, considering it is the biggest question hanging over the Jets' entire season right now. Considering it is the biggest thing holding an otherwise playoff-caliber team back, right? So, Robert Receipts had a chance to nail that answer when he appeared on the Michael K. show in New York City yesterday because Bob had to know that question was coming, right? It's the only question. Here is how he actually answered the question of why not try another QB? I got you. No, it's, uh, again, a fair question. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, like I said, he, he, I don't know. You got me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plead the fifth on all this one. Wait, what? All right, again, fair question. If by fair question, Bob, you mean the only question, then yes, it's a fair question. Dude, did you just plead the fifth? You got me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plead the fifth on all this one. <laughs> That's your answer to the most important question, the only question hanging over the Jets' entire season right now. You're taking the fifth. You're I'm pleading gonna, the fifth. I'm going to plead the fifth on all this one. <laughs> The hell, Bob. Bob, you do know you're not under oath. You do know you have not been deposed. You do know that you're not facing some federal indictment. You do know that you have not been accused of any crime. Although running the coog hunter out there every single week actually could be considered criminal activity. If you can't defend the dude anymore, then why are you putting him out on the field still? And if the head coach can't even publicly defend the Coug Hunter anymore, would you imagine what the rest of the team must be saying behind closed doors? If Bob's public endorsement of Wilson is, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment. I'm going to plead the Fifth on all this one. On the only question that matters, imagine what that defense must be saying about that dude amongst themselves. That solid answer almost makes me think that He actually does not have a choice. When that guy says, you know, fair question, I think I'll plead the fifth, it makes me think that it's not his decision. It's not his choice. It makes me think he probably doesn't even agree with it. If the guy really bought it, right, if the guy really made the call himself, he would tell you, hey, that's on me. That's on me. I made that decision. The buck stops here. 
I believe in the kid. That's on me. But if he's saying, hey, you know, fair question, I think I'll plead the fifth on that. It makes me think that maybe he's being told what to do. Maybe he doesn't want to die on Coog Hunter Hill. And if it is his call, if it is his call, then he should do a much better job of explaining why that's his call. Because, again, it's the only question that matters, and he's not answering it. He's pleading the fifth. I don't know. Is it his call, or is that coming from somebody above his, above his pay grade? Even if that's the case, you still need a much better answer than that. That is a terrible answer to the most important question facing the football team. And again, he had to know it was coming. And he's got to offer more than, yeah, I think I'll plead the fifth. I'm going to plead the fifth on all this one. <laughs> Meanwhile, so what about Aaron Rodgers? When is he coming back? When is Aaron coming back to save the season so Bob can stop pleading the fifth? Well, I'll tell you when he's not coming back, quote, in a few weeks, like he told Derwin James on the field. He obviously was just messing around. He knows him. They have the same representatives. The dude was not coming back in a few weeks. Like I said yesterday, I'm no doctor, but I don't need to be one or to even know one to know that you're not coming back in a few weeks after shredding your Achilles. Not even Aaron. Not even Aaron and his miraculous healing power and his ability to manifest. And I mean that as a compliment. That guy's not coming back in a few weeks. So when is he coming back? He told Pat McAfee in his weekly hit that, quote, in a few fortnights. All right, so if we want to decode that, a few fortnights is not a few weeks. A few fortnights, if I convert to fortnight math, I think it's like six weeks. Even then, that seems impossible, right? And, and for him to come back, even if it is in a few fortnights, he needs a reason to come back. He needs something to come back to. He needs the Jets to be in the hunt. And right now, the only thing Zach is hunting is turnovers and sacks and fumbles and holding on to the ball too long and making bad choices. Believe me, a few more, quote, fortnights of Zach under center and the Jets defense will be looking to hunt Zach. And he will have his license to hunt Coog revoked. You see, unlike Bob, I'm not going to plead the fifth. I'm not believing what I'm seeing and hearing about how this is some sort of change dude and player. To me, same as he ever was. And I admire the hell out of Aaron for doing whatever he can to rush back to save the Jets' season. But... There'll be nothing left to save once Zach finishes lighting that entire facility on fire. So what do we really have to look forward to? Not Zach playing football. No, no. When it comes to the Jets now, aside from their defense, flying around, wreaking havoc, and it not mattering, what I look forward to now and the highlights are Aaron before the game. So you got the Raiders. Maybe the Jets training staff could line up a bunch of cones so Aaron can run a sub 4-3-40. Because he probably could. Or maybe they grab some of the practice squatters and have Aaron like hold a pre-draft combine or like an Aaron Pro Day at 39 where Aaron's throwing 70-yard bombs from his knees. Or maybe Aaron's running around and some throwing coach is trying to bat him with a broom. Or maybe Aaron is chucking a rock that hits the Allegiant Stadium ceiling. Or Aaron is scrambling with Hackett, chasing him with a rake and a trash lid. The only chance the Jets have Sunday is if the Raiders are still sucking on their McDaniels stogies. And they don't come out of the locker room. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business. I know I've spoken to this family, and they take their smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal. It comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, 
peppered and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anywhere, anytime, reach for Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Look for it in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? Is Tom Verducci. He joins us via Zoom. Tom, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Jim? Good, good. Tom, appreciate you. Listen, I can't remember the last time the managerial carousel was as intriguing as it is right now. We've had a few days for it to settle in, but in your opinion, how shocking was it to see Craig Council not only leave Milwaukee, but leave for the rival Cubs? Well, I know the Brewers were shocked. Listen, he kept his options open. He did not take an extension when that was offered to have this free agency available to him. His two goals, uh, Jim, were really to push the market in terms of salaries for managers and to stay in the Midwest. Grew up in Wisconsin. His kids played college baseball in the Midwest. His two daughters are in high school in Wisconsin. He wanted the Midwest. He wanted money. The Cubs were the one team that satisfied that. The Brewers just were not going to pay him the kind of money that the Cubs did. And I get it. Listen, I like David Ross. I think he did a great job with the Cubs. But this is very similar to when Joe Madden came along in the free agent market for the Cubs when they had Rick Renteria. You had a chance to upgrade. It's as simple as that. There's no knock on David Ross. But Craig Council, to me, is right there with Bruce Bochy and Kevin Cash as one of the two or three best managers in the game. So if you have an opportunity to get this guy, you see if, you, he, if he's got interest. Obviously, he did. This has really been Craig's dream job. As a guy who played baseball at Notre Dame, as I said, from the Midwest, this is the number one job for Craig Council. Now he's got it at an all-time record, $8 million a year. Now, there's a caveat with that, Jen. I mean, Joe Torre had the record years ago, like 20 years ago, at $7.5 million. Of course, he won four titles for the Yankees when he earned that. But in today's dollars, that's $13 million. So the manager market has been stagnant for years, basically because the stars of the game now are executives, not managers. And they're, they've been getting the big money. So maybe this kind of kickstarts a, a new revolution, if you will, for managers being appreciated and paid more. Tom Verducci joining us. Tom, there's so much interesting stuff in what you just said. But to that point that he is now the highest paid manager, not only in the game, but the highest paid manager of all time. What What's that say about the Cubs that they did that? Do they think that highly of him? Why would they make that kind of commitment to him? Yeah, first of all, they do think that highly of him. They, like me, think he's one of the best in the business. He's a difference maker. And you can't say that with most managers. You look at his all-time record in close games, one-run games. And I know a lot of people say, you know, that's fungible. It's a matter of luck. But when you do it year after year after year, he has the third highest record in one-run games of all time. Now you think about that's a guy who can make a difference over the course of the year. How many games? Who knows? If it's two to three, that's a lot when you consider that really depends on making the playoffs or not. So he's out there. If Think if you're a Cubs fan, Jim. You have to really be happy about the money they're paying Craig Council because you don't make this guy the highest paid manager in the game unless you're prepared to consolidate that with putting money into player payroll. And, yeah, that means being active on this free agent market this winter. This was not a case where, hey, we're going to pay our manager a lot of money and then we're just going to give him the roster that we have. No, no, no. They're on the upswing here. I think he saw that. Well, Milwaukee is kind of rebuilding right now. We are talking to Tom Verducci. So, Tom, given the Mets resources, given the fact that Council worked with Mets' new president of baseball ops, David Stearns, for seven years in Milwaukee, did it seem as if the Mets had the inside track on Council? Yeah, it did seem that way, Jim, but I think a lot of us kind of overestimated that connection there. First of all, David Stearns in Milwaukee did not hire Craig Council. He inherited him. They did work together for seven seasons, had a lot of success. Um, but that connection really was something he inherited rather than some friendship that led to him hiring Craig Council. The other thing was just the Mets and the New York market. You know, the Mets is they've got resources. We all know that they're they were prepared to pay him, maybe not as much as the Cubs, but in the same ballpark. But again, it's the geography. Does Craig Council want to work in flushing at a time when, let's face it, the Mets are kind of a mess here? Uh, they need to pivot after going all in the last couple of years with really last year, at least bad results. Uh, so I think the, the future immediately is probably better in Chicago. Uh, but again, it's closer to home for Craig Council. So I think we overestimated the Stearns connection and what uh, the New York money might have been able to bought in terms of uh, overcoming geographic uh, tendencies for Craig Council. 
I mean, Tom, you've written about this, but in terms of recent history, generally, what happens to managers that go to New York to manage the Mets ultimately? They don't last long and they don't get another job. The last seven managers, the Mets have not had another job offer. Now, Buck Showalter is in the mix for the Angels. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, but yeah, I think it's because the Mets are just, you know, because of their resources, the expectations are so high. This is a team that finished 29 games behind the Atlanta Braves last year. So they're not that close to winning the division. Uh, but the expectations, because the resources are that the Mets should be winning every year. So that's a lot of pressure for anybody to walk in. I thought all along, Jim, that that job should go to somebody with experience and who knows the New York market. It's unlike any other market. Now, David Stearns didn't go with experience. Carlos Mendoza hasn't managed above a ball, but at least Mendoza, being the Yankees bench coach the last few years, knows the New York landscape. He's not going to be surprised. I thought actually Don Mattingly might have been a really good fit there. He might be a fit in Milwaukee now. I think, first of all, that's an amazing stat that you just shared, Tom, that the last seven managers of the Mets have not gotten a job after that fact. I was going to ask you about Milwaukee. Where does that leave them? Who is on their short list to replace Council? Easy thing for them to do is give the job to Pat Murphy. He's been the bench coach for Craig Council the last few years, knows all the ability and the talent there. He did have a brief period as manager of the Padres, uh, that being said, he's got a job offer with Craig Council to, to be his bench coach with the Cubs. Uh, and I'm not sure it's a slam dunk that you take the manager's job in Milwaukee over where the Cubs are at right now. Who knows? Because of the friendship with Craig Council. You know, I, I think it's crazy, but maybe David Ross factors in. If you're Mark Adonazio and you are the owner of the Brewers, the way to get out of this PR mess of losing the best manager the Brewers have ever had to the rival Cubs, no less, is not to just go within cheap manager, whatever that may be, but Get a name brand manager in there, a David Ross, a Don Mattingly, somebody along those lines. Hey, Tom, or not let the guy go in the first place. Let me ask you this. I mean, to your point, they were not going to yeah. match that offer. However, if they had matched that offer, would he have stayed? Oh, uh, without a doubt. I, I think he would have. Again, his priorities were push the envelope in terms of salaries for managers and Midwest. The Brewers would have really satisfied both those. But from what I was told, they were giving him a raise to five and a half million dollars, which would have made him the highest paid manager in the game today, um, which is not, that's nothing to sneeze at, but it's not in the market of where the Cubs are going to go. So basically, Craig Council was worth more to the Cubs than he was to the Brewers. And, you know, sometimes if you're a small market team, I get it. You don't have the same kind of resources, but when you've got an asset like Craig Council, who grew up in Wisconsin, his father worked for the team. You don't let that guy go. I'm not saying you pay him whatever he wants, but you certainly have to be more competitive, get in the same ballpark as your rival in the same division. I agree, Tom. I think it's not a matter of can they afford to pay him, can they afford not to pay him, and we're about to find out. So before you go, Tom Verducci is my guest. Free agency officially did get underway on Monday. Ultimately, who do you think is going to win the Shohei sweepstakes? I did my thought all along. It's the LA Dodgers for a lot of reasons. First of all, they tried to sign this guy out of high school. They, this has been their white whale for that long, right? That this is the one they've been chasing. Uh, he was in their mix when he was a free agent for the first time, but remember back then there was no DH and certainly the AL teams had the advantage. Um, now you think about the teams that he had on his list the first time around five West coast teams, Cubs and Rangers, I think those are the same seven teams that really are at the forefront here. But it's hard for me to imagine that someone is going to give Shohei Otani more than what the Dodgers can offer. What can they offer? Obviously money. I don't think they're going to get a bid. Uh, a great place to live and train. He's used to Southern California with the Angels. Um, the weather, that's actually a factor because this guy, when he's coming back to pitch, loves pitching on the sixth day. I don't want to deal with the cold weather in the east in the early in the season or late in the season, rainouts, what have you. I think he's developed a really comfortable lifestyle, training style in Southern California, Jim, and I think that's his preference here. He wants to win. Let's start with that, too. And the Dodgers, certainly, they're in the postseason year after year after year. They can show him that. You know, the Giants, the Mariners, teams like that, can't really convince him that every year you're going to compete for a World Series the way the Dodgers can sell it. And listen, the Dodgers, I think, when all said and done, I think the number is going to start with a five. I really do. For all the talk about, you know, Shohei with the uh, shirt, uh, surgery on the elbow, he's not going to pitch for a year. That deflates his value. 
I mean, this is like the LeBron James of baseball. You pay for the guy because of what he can do, but also the halo effect he has on the whole franchise. I have some people tell me, Jim, that he can bring in $20 million a year just in advertising revenue from people that and companies that want to be associated with him and ha- have their ads on the outfield walls or on the broadcast. So I'm not saying he's going to pay for himself, but this is the unicorn, not just because he's a two-way player, but he's the greatest commercial asset in baseball that's too good for the Dodgers to pass on. I agree with you, Tom. And Artie Moreno, I'm sure, saw it the exact same way. That's why he held on to him as long as he possibly could. What a great, great conversation. A senior baseball writer for Sports Illustrated, also a Fox Sports MLB analyst and reporter and MLB network insider. He is Tom Verducci. Tom, couldn't appreciate you anymore. Thank you so much for that. Always enjoy it, Jim. My pleasure. Hey, now, Jim Rome here. Let me talk to you for a moment about one of my all-time favorite products, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store. Count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. This is why it is America's number one meal kit. And the holidays are right around the corner, and HelloFresh can help take the stress out of dinner by delivering everything you need to cook up tasty meals right to your door, saving you a ton of time. What I'm saying is this, HelloFresh is so much more than just delicious dinners. HelloFresh can help take the hassle out of every mealtime occasion with easy breakfast, quick lunches, and snacks all delivered along with your weekly box. That's why I love it, for all of those reasons. So what you want to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash RomeFree and use the code RomeFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's a free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash RomeFree, but you have to use the code RomeFree. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Ben Golver, he joins us via Zoom. Ben, it's great to have you back. How are you? It's great to be back, Jim. I'm doing excellent. Just got off the road uh, seeing Victor Wembanyama for, for, uh, four of his first five games, I should say. Just an incredible start to the season for him, and I think for the NBA in general. It's, it's been a lot of excitement with this, uh, this fresh-faced rookie down in San Antonio taking over. All right, so Ben, what do you make of that? Let me get your first impressions. Almost nothing ever, ever lives up to the hype. Seems to me that although it's early, Wemby has already smashed it. What did you think watching him? Well, in his fifth game against uh, Phoenix, he had 38 points, 10 rebounds. He's putting up numbers that no rookie or no teenager besides LeBron James and Kevin Durant have ever done in NBA history. So that's a pretty good place to start. What I really want to reinforce to people, though, is he's not just a highlight player. Obviously, he's a goat on YouTube, right? I mean, you see all these crazy dunks, these block shots. I mean, he's so tall. He's so long, seven foot four with the eight foot wingspan. He's always going to be making highlight level plays. But what really stands out about uh, him to me is the intangibles. Jim, I've really never seen anything like how he prepares for games. He practices everything, all of the boring stuff. You know, he's closing out on shooters. Uh, he's, you know, cutting off of screens. He's working on backdoor passes. He even practices taking charges at center court. He has one of the Spurs coaches run into him so he can practice taking a charge. I mean, it's such a unique way to prepare for an NBA game when pretty much everybody else is out there just shooting up jumpers and jogging around and kind of waiting for the game to start. He's a very, very intelligent guy. I think uh, Greg Popovich has called him a quick learner time and again here in the first two weeks. And I think that's really what's helping him hit the ground running is that basketball intelligence. Ben Golver joining us. And really quickly, Ben, what's been the reaction around the league from his veteran peers? What do they make of him? Well, I've been impressed that he's been accepted. I mean, we all remember those stories about Michael Jordan showing up as a rookie and it's like a challenging locker room. But he's, there's hard drug use and all this kind of stuff. Or LeBron. Remember all the resentment around LeBron when he first got to Cleveland because he was such a hype prospect there in Ohio. But for Wembenyama, it's been a lot of uh, oohs and ahs, and people are trying to just adjust to how do you play against him, right? I mean, here's a player who you could just throw lobs to all day long. He can dunk over your centers with no problem. And then defensively, he can guard your best point guards or your, your best shooting guards, stay with them on the perimeter, and then block their jump shots in a way that nobody else really does. So we heard from Devin Booker say something along the lines of, we're still trying to figure out who this guy is. Up in Toronto, uh, OG Ananobi got his shot blocked a couple of times. He just said, Webby Yama's too tall. I don't even know how to deal with him. So 
there's been this huge adjustment period as everyone's just trying to wrap their minds around what is it like when a guy who's seven foot four uh, has guard skills, can put the ball between his legs, can bring the basketball up in transition. I mean, we've heard so much about unicorns here over the last 10 years in the NBA, probably starting right around the Kevin Durant era, maybe. And Wembenyama is just in his own class. I mean, he's taller and longer than anything we've seen, more skilled than any uh, player of his size in NBA history. And it was funny when he was getting warmed up down in Phoenix, even Kevin Durant was looking down from the other side of the court trying to sneak a peek, Jim. He wanted to see it for himself. He couldn't believe it. It's incredible, Ben. Like, how amazing is it that the 19-year-old is not adjusting to life in the NBA? The NBA has to adjust to the 19-year-old five games in. It really is amazing, especially in this, the era of unicorns. Ben Galbraith is joining us. So, Ben, it's obviously a marathon NBA season, but not too early to form some early impressions. Let me ask you about the Bucks. Milwaukee's won four of their first six. What do you make of what you've seen from their new Giannis Damian you know super team of sorts yeah look they've got some work to do they changed their defensive scheme coming into the season it was one of those deals where a first-year head coach and adrian griffin has his vision for what the defense should look like and it was just terrible out of the gate i mean there's no other way to put it they were not stopping anybody so they've adjusted back to more of what they were doing last year with their defense and that's having brooke lopez stay in the paint and that's improved a little bit for them on that end you know it's going to take a while when you have two guys who have had their own teams for years and years in Giannis and Dame to kind of come together. But we've already seen some nice moments of chemistry late in games where they could take turns. Uh, they could kind of share the basketball. They could each hit some big shots and, and certainly get to the free throw line as well. I think that's been one of the big standout things for Milwaukee has been Damian Lillard's ability to get to the line to, to make use of all the space that Giannis creates and just get himself to the rib. So I would say, uh, you know, Milwaukee, they haven't raced out of the gate, but they're probably happy with where they are. And certainly they know it's going to take a couple of months to bring this team together. I think that's really important when you look at Milwaukee, Boston and Phoenix, because they made such big trades that really changed their starting lineups so late in the summer. Right. Those deals didn't even get done till uh, right before media day in training camp. You got to give those teams probably two months to really see who they are. Ben Golver joining us. You know, you mentioned the defense. I would imagine they miss Budenholzer's defense. I know they miss Drew Holiday. Speaking of Drew Holiday and the Celtics, what about that revamp roster you just referenced? The Celtics have dropped just one game so far. What do you make of what you've seen from them? Well, look, they're probably of all the teams that made big moves this summer. They've come out of the game, the, uh, the gate, the fastest. I would say Jason Tatum's looked like an early season MVP candidate. It starts with him. Jalen Brown's had some really nice moments, but they're going to be able to get it done with spacing on offense and then a hard-nosed defense. Nobody wants to have to play against Derek White, uh, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Andrew Holiday on the perimeter. I mean, that's the best one-to-four uh, defense I think you're going to see anywhere in the NBA. Porzingis has hit the ground running, really providing a lot of spacing on offense. That's helped make life a little bit easier for Al Horford, who's getting up there in years. Uh, this is a team that's ready to compete for a title. I think they should be viewed right next to Denver as the top championship favorites. I think if, if they were to get to that finals matchup and you're getting Jokic versus Porzigas, I mean, that'd be a crazy mismatch in terms of styles of play and body types. I think that would be something to really get excited for if it comes to that. But before we get there, I mean, I, I think you have to look at Boston as a favorite to win this in-season tournament as well. Uh, their only loss so far was on the road against Minnesota. Minnesota was really amped up for that game. They brought, you know, 110% uh, energy in that, and it still took them to overtime to put the Celtics down. So that tells you what kind of a challenge uh, this Celtics team is. And I, I think Brad Stevens did a great job this summer. You know, he really improved his starting lineup. I think he shook up the chemistry a little bit, and they're they're potent on both ends. I think you're right. Ben Galbraith joining us. I think you're right. I think Denver also looks great despite losing a couple of key role players in Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. I think they look really good. What about the Sixers? They win five of their first six. Hey, Ben, it wouldn't seem that they miss James Harden all that much. How do they look to you? Yeah, look, I think it's a case of addition by subtraction, right? Because you do lose James Harden's playmaking ability. You do lose his scoring ability. But there were so many distractions here over these last couple of months that they just look relieved and happy to move on. And by the way, Tyrese Maxey's looking around and saying, I'm going to get paid next summer because I've got the ball in my hands. I'm putting up huge numbers. I have all the room in the world to kind of be that number two guy to Joel Embiid. I don't think we could judge the Sixers, though, until we get to February because Daryl Morey was able to get a whole bunch of draft picks from the Los Angeles Clippers in that James Harden trade. He's got some expiring contracts that he could potentially trade as well. So 
I would look at Philadelphia and say they're probably the biggest buyers in the NBA right now during this regular season in terms of trying to improve and upgrade their core around Joel Embiid to really give him a shot to chase a championship this season. Now, look, uh, you know, Boston and Milwaukee, to me, they made bigger additions than Philadelphia did over the last 12 months. I think if you're Embiid, you have to start wondering, are we slipping behind? Are we falling behind here? Is this team committed to trying to put me in position to keep up with the Celtics and the Bucks? And so I think that that's why I see them as buyers. You know, I, I think Daryl Morey is kind of holds the keys to this season if he wants to uh, cash in some of those assets in February. He knows that too. And I think Terry's Maxey, this is not a surprise to anybody. He's capitalizing on that opportunity. He looks awesome so far. What about Ben James Harden with the Clippers? I know Harden wanted the Clippers, but should the Clippers have wanted him in return? For instance, are they collecting stars or are they building a roster? In other words, do you expect this to work? No, I don't. And frankly, I don't expect it to work. I think when I look at their four guys, they're all ball dominant. They're all like 32 years and older. They all have, you know, some level of either fit concerns or injury concerns when it's Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. And when I look at how they would play in the playoffs, someone's going to get the short end of the stick. And I think it's probably going to be Russell Westbrook. And that could be really tricky for them to manage. Now, here in the short term, I think it's all about trying to settle James Harden into the right role. You want this guy to be a number three scorer. You want this to be Kawhi Leonard's team. You don't want Paul George to get lost in the shovel, shuffle. And I think that's the, the key that we saw from his debut is like, why is Paul George taking such a huge step back? You know, it's not like James Harden was dominating the basketball like crazy in that game against the Knicks. And yet Paul George is kind of nowhere to be seen. So that's a, that's a tricky dynamic. They've got the right coach to navigate this stuff in uh, Ty Lue. But I just don't think that, you know, come a postseason time, they're going to try to go really small, spread everybody out, shoot lots of three-pointers. And I think if you're looking at you know a matchup with Golden State or a matchup with Denver, I'll take Golden State at Denver over the Clippers. I think they make this move for a couple of reasons, though. I don't think they thought they were good enough. I think they were worried about backsliding this season with their players getting a little bit older. And, of course, they've got that new arena coming in Inglewood, and you get another big-time you know, basketball star you know, from Southern California. That probably helps things next season as they move into that arena assuming they're able to re-sign James Harden. So there's business reasons for doing it. I, I see basketball reasons for doing it. I'm just not buying it, Jim. Yeah, neither am I, and I think also for insurance, because, you know, one or more of those guys are going to get hurt. Speaking of which, finally, I'm not questioning Ben Anthony Davis's durability. Well, yes, I am. Seven games in, he's already dealing with a hip issue. Given his history of injury, and even if LeBron is what he is at 38, he is almost 39, where would you slot the Lakers in the West? Well, I was really high on them coming into this season, Jim, because I looked at the depth and their continuity from last year when they made that Western Conference Finals run. And I was thinking all the pieces have come together here for the Lakers. But the, the problem is they've been working so hard for their wins here early in the season that LeBron's had to play big minutes and Anthony Davis has had to play, you know, huge minutes. And even if I was going to defend him from these accusations of, you know, being injury prone and look, he's always on the shelf. That's been a, something we've seen for five, six, seven years now. You just can't expect him to be healthy if you're going to play him 38, 39, 40 minutes a night in October, right? And so I guess I'm a little bit lower on the Lakers than I was coming into the season. I feel like they're probably in that second tier or that third tier, but I've been really impressed by the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry. I feel like their chemistry is a little bit better this season than it was last year. And of course, Denver is riding high above everybody. So I think the Lakers, they're no better than third. And I could easily see them being one of those teams that's fighting for a, you know, a five or a six seed. Because you've got these younger teams like Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Dallas. Like Those teams are really hungry trying to make a name for themselves. And it's going to be tricky for these older Lakers teams uh, to kind of keep up as the season unfolds. You know, I've got GM Nico Harrison on my pod this week, Ben. And he is really high and really bullish on Kyrie and Luka and the way they're playing next to each other. So I think you're right. The West is going to be fierce once again. He is an NBA national writer for the Washington Post. He is co-host of the Greatest of All Talk podcast and the author of Bubble Ball. It's a great book inside the NBA's fight to save a season. Ben, great to have you back on. Appreciate you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Jim. Take care, man. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved for only a few. 
Well, Discover wants to change that by making everybody feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Eddie C in NYC. Eddie, what's going on? Jimmy, what's up, baby boy? You know, you're my real baby boy. You're my fam. Let me get to a couple things here first. Whoever that cat is who called in trying to talk trash about me, hold on, they're trying to come and get me now. Whoever tried to, the kid who called in tried to get me uh, talking trash about me in New York City, like A-Rod said, I don't even know you, bro. What's his name, Ernie? And I'm glad you took his golden ticket. You should give it to me, actually. And uh, I, uh, I gotta tell you, Salah is not benching Zach yet because the team is terrible around him. I see the kid making plays. I know you don't like him for some reason. He gets a lot of hate. He really does. I never seen a quarterback get so much hate so fast on one bad throw. All these QBs make bad throws. All these QBs do dumb things a lot of times. The team around him is playing terrible. The offensive line is like that guy who got the golden ticket and lost it. That's like his crew. If he ever came to New York and tried to talk about how New York has fallen so down, if he tried to say that in the face of my crew, you'd see the offensive line of like the Eagles against the offensive line against the Jets right now. And uh, I just don't defend Zach. I just think he's talented. And uh, I love the jungle more than Zach, and I love you more than Zach. But I just think there's a lot of other things going on with that team. Guys getting hit in the face, dropping balls. Lazard can't catch a ball, getting paid all this money. Breeze fumbling the ball. And the big thing, the offensive line cannot give that kid any time to look down the field. Everybody says, Zach, get rid of it. Throw the ball away. He's got dudes and their, their cups in his face in a second. I got to tell you, Jimmy, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with him, but I do believe the boy got talent. But I'm really glad you took that kid's golden ticket. You took his ticket like the bootleggers jacked my sounds. The renegade master is out. <laughs> my <laughs> man, Eddie C. <laughs> That's great. Looking at you, Michigan man. It's been a pretty wild college football season, but I've got to say the single biggest upset of the entire season is that some dude named Connor Stallions is the biggest star in college football. Connor Stallions is this year's Johnny Idiot face. Hell, Stallions ought to be on the Heisman ballot at this point. He absolutely should get an invite to New York. At minimum, the dude should be the favorite for the Broyles Award, which is annually given to the nation's top assistant. Forget that he doesn't actually have a job anymore. He should still get the award for going above and beyond like nobody else in college football. In fact, if the other men of Michigan are all to be believed, not a single one of them had any idea how above and beyond this dude was actually going. Nobody had any idea that he was allegedly running an elaborate signal-stealing scheme. And nobody had any idea that he was allegedly a master of disguise, going incognito to infiltrate enemy sidelines. Nobody had any idea what he was doing, and he was completely acting alone, the ultimate rogue. Or at least that's what we're led to believe by every Michigan man. Just like star running back, Blake Corum, who somehow got dragged into this whole thing. This is why, Jaworski, I'm looking at you too. This is why, Michigan man, this is still a thing. Michigan man wants it to go away. Michigan man keeps asking, why is everybody on this? Why does everybody care? Why? Because it's awesome. Why? Because it's wild. Look at this update. The star running back has been dragged into this. Blake Corum. Corum had no idea that he was in business with Stallions. Even though he was, at least on paper. All right, Blake Corum says, wait, what? What did you just say? 
thanks for bringing this to my attention. I didn't know. Well, according to a piece of paper, it seems like they were in business. It feels like there's a brand new twist in this saga every single day, and that's why it's still a thing. The twist now was finding out that Stallions and Quorum are registered to an LLC together based out of Wyoming. This is how weird this is getting. The LLC lists a home in Ann Arbor as its office and mailing address. And, of course, that home is owned by, wait for it, Connor Stallions, which is pretty weird. And even better and more weird, Stallions allegedly was running a vacuum cleaner refurbishing business out of that home. Which is how we got to this incredible quote yesterday from one of the best running backs in the country. Blake Corum was asked about being on the same LLC as Stallions and being a part of the vacuum refurbishing business. I talked with my attorney actually right before I came out here, so they're on it. Did you know he had a vacuum cleaning? I don't even know what business. Nah, doing. you know, that's that's something I'm not really into. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, vacuums aren't my thing. You know? Uh, you know, I'm a clean person, but I'm not a cleaner, you know, but, uh, you know, vacuum, vacuums are my thing. He's like, that's news to me. Vacuums aren't my thing. Generally, I'm a clean person, but I'm not about cleaning or refurbishing vacuums. That's not my bag, man. That's not my deal. That's not my jam. You know, I'm a clean person, but I'm not a cleaner, you know, but, uh, I don't know, dude. I mean, you, you might not be, but you're on the paper. You're papered. There is a paper trail. So, like, Michigan, man, this is why people won't let it go. This is why people are still talking about it. Because every single day there's something new. Now we're talking about this dude having an LLC with a star running back on it and a business that he's running out of his house that, by the way, is not allowed by the HOA. A vacuum refurbishing business. So, the Stallion saga really is the gift that keeps on giving. The dude's running an illegal vacuum refurb biz out of his house, allegedly, and operating the business via an LLC filed in Wyoming, allegedly, and the LLC had Blake Corm's name on it without Blake having any knowledge of it. Okay, then. This Stallions dude is something else, man. He is something else. Apparently, when confronted by his HOA about the alleged vacuum refurb biz, he just accused them of being Michigan State fans who were trying to distract him. I mean, that, that's barely better than Jaworski hitting me up with, hey, dumbass, get off of us. Everybody's doing it. Stallions literally hit his HOA. And look, we all have had issues with our HOA, right? But his response was, you know what? You Michigan State fans, get the hell off me. Hey, dumbasses, you're Michigan State fans. Everybody's doing it. Everybody, wait, everybody's doing it? Everybody's running illegal vacuum refurb businesses out of their garage and putting their star player's name on the LLC? Is everybody doing that too? I don't know. That's the whole point. I don't know. I'm not saying that I know. I just know it's awesome. And it's something new every single day. That's why we keep talking about it. I don't know. Maybe Stallions really is just this unhinged Michigan super fan. And generally weird dude. And maybe he hatched all of this on his own. Maybe nobody had any knowledge of it. Never mind that he was right there on the Michigan sideline in the same frame with the ultimate Michigan man, Harbaugh. But maybe. Maybe Harbaugh didn't know. Maybe none of them knew. However, the NCAA will still hold the head of the program accountable for this dude's actions. I don't know. Maybe Stallions is wild enough to have pulled all of this off, all of his own fruition. Maybe. Maybe. 
but that does not mean that Michigan is vindicated. So don't come running in here doing some kind of victory lap today, Michigan man. I don't need to hear how Connor was acting alone or that everybody else was doing exactly what he was doing. First of all, everybody else was not allegedly running a vacuum refurb business illegally out of their home with the star player's name on the LLC. So don't bring that everybody else was doing it around here. And in terms of everybody else doing what he was doing as it relates to signal stealing, everybody else may have been sharing signals in a way that, at least up until this point, appears to be completely within the rules. That's Michigan Man's newest argument. Yeah, but... There was collusion. There were other programs around the conference. They were sharing information. They were sharing our signs. Even if that's true, and it might be, I'll give you that, that might be true. But even if that is true, and they were sharing information, and they somehow got Michigan signs, if they got them legally and they shared them, it's not the same thing. Not yet. Not if Stallions broke the rules. Now, you can say to me, yeah, Rome, but the rules are so stupid. Like the dumbest rules ever. I might even agree with that. But you can't say that the rules don't matter because they're dumb. And you can't say the rules don't matter because you don't like them. And you can't say the rules don't matter because you broke them. You can't tell me the two things that are not the same are in fact the same, and they're not. What I'm talking about is this, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Purdue. Sharing signals, sharing information, and not specifically illegally obtained information is not the same as illegally scouting and getting that information. That's not the same thing, Michigan man. You can try and claim that these things are the same, but they're not. So don't come up in here and try to run your victory lap. The reason it's a problem for Michigan, and it's going to remain a problem for Michigan, it appears that a member of their program blatantly violated NCAA rules. And no matter how dumb you think they are, if they violated the rules, that's a problem. Now let me say this in defense of Michigan. I find this notion that the Big Ten is going to run up in here and drop some massive hammer or any hammer on them in the next 24 hours or even the next week or so kind of to be a total pipe dream because there's info breaking on this every single day, almost every single hour. So an in-season punishment from the Big Ten to me would be premature or premature. We don't even have the full picture of Connor Stallion's crazy web yet. The NCAA is never in a rush. So the same disciplinary standard that exists for every other program should exist here as well. Just because they're great, just because people don't like their coach, doesn't mean you rush in and hammer them without having all the facts. But Michigan, man, don't tell me you're vindicated because you're not. You're not. All you've done successfully is drag some others into the mud with you, which is curious considering you've always led all of us to believe that the men of Michigan were above the mud. You've always been like, we're above this, we're above this. And now the argument is, everybody does it. Wait a minute, I thought that you were above this. Anyway, that's the latest. This is why, to answer your question, Michigan man, why are we still on this? Because Stallions has a vacuum refurb business running out of his home that is illegal, and he's got their star running back on the LLC. You know, I'm a clean person. I, I don't know who to believe. Cleaner, you know, but, uh... The running back says no. That's news to me. It's crazy. It's wild. Never really see anything like this in college football. You know, it's pretty naive to think that it's going to go away because you're tired of it, Michigan man. Hey, Michigan man, if it were Ohio State, you'd be all over it. You'd never want it to end. 
if it were Ohio State, Michigan man, you'd be like, hey, Rome, why aren't you talking about this with more intensity? This is all we want to talk about. But since it's about you, your thing is, hey, man, hey, dumbass, get off us. Everybody's doing it. Stop talking about it. Well, that's why. Hey, Jimmy, did you say that Stallions is on the wrong side of the HOA? Forget the NCAA. Those Karens are going to rip him a new one and leave him for dead. <laughs> Vincent, Illinois. War Pervin Liar taking Stallions for a night out. Buddy's going to need one, man. That's devastating. Heartbreak. You don't want to get on the wrong side of the HOA, right? You got the NCAA, and then you got the HOA. Which is worse, the NCAA or the HOA? Both have extremely annoying rules that make no sense. Buddy needs a night out for sure. If he can leave his vacuum refurb business for a moment. Illegal vacuum refurb business. That dude's something else. I saw one day we, so the house we live in right now, we buy this house and we send the landscapers in the backyard and they take down these hedges. And then one day I see this dude wandering around in my backyard and I don't know who it is. And I'm like, what's up, man? Or actually DJ said, what's up? And needless to say, it was the HOA. And I'm like, oh. The HOA. Of course, they're not invited. They didn't knock on the door. They didn't say, hey, we need a moment with you. They just kind of happened upon the property. The HOA's clearance is not only above the NCAA. I think it's above the FBI. I think they come with their own HOA windbreakers. Never mind my backyard. Like, y'all, what are you doing in my bedroom? What are you doing inside my house? This was the rare example where the HOA went my way. So DJ says to the HOA, excuse me, can I help you? You know, code for who the hell are you? What are you doing in our backyard? We had a complaint from your next door neighbor. Really? What's that? They complained that you took down the hedges and they no longer have privacy and that you can see into their backyard. And DJ's like, oh, really? Whose responsibility is that? What, what, do you, what do we do? So we're bracing ourselves, of course, for the HOA to hammer us to put them back in. And the HOA incredibly said, not your responsibility, your hedges. You can do whatever you want with them. It, too bad for them that they no longer have their privacy. And I'm like, you believe me, I really don't even want to look into that backyard. But the HOA actually was on our side. That was the rare HOA win. That was the rare, I'm very happy to see you all. Good job, good effort. Keep it up.